dear congregation, it's always interesting to me, and undoubtedly to you as well, uh, the, how Jesus is represented in our contemporary culture as such a gentle and meek and mild-mannered man uh, whose preaching was just full of love and grace and forgiveness and, and such. Uh, and, then, and then you read about the real Jesus, right? When you come to the pages of the New Testament and you read that Jesus was a very challenging preacher. He probably wouldn't have lasted long uh, in some of our pulpits because of his constant uh, demands that he made upon people. He raised the bar so high, you might say. You'll remember that even the disciples at one point said, Lord, who then can be saved? This is the real Jesus. And we confront the real Jesus in our text this morning. So Let's consider this uh, passage of Scripture together where Jesus speaks about a door. The question is the first point that I'll address this morning. The question, because we know that this story opens with a man raising this question. This man is a a theologian. He thinks hard about issues, and the preaching of Jesus has prompted this question in his mind. And you read about that in verse 23. He says, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? He's asking about the number of how many people will be in the kingdom of God. Now, why, what do you think uh, motivated or what prompted this question? Well, you know, my friends, that many of the Jews believed uh, that just by reason of being a Jew, you were going to be saved. You can actually read this in their writings, and I, I, I found some of these places this week where the Jews actually say, I found one place that I found particularly interesting because it said that uh, Jews, all the Jews will have a place in the kingdom of God except three men. Jeroboam, Ahab, and Manasseh. Those three men weren't going to be in the kingdom of God, but all the other Jews would be. I don't know what's, uh, why those three men, I mean, obviously those were wicked men, but it seems like there were other men equally wicked, but at any rate, uh, that was the assumption of the Jewish people, that they had a place. Well, of course they had a place in the kingdom of God. That just was taken for granted. But then you have Jesus coming along and, and saying things like uh, this fig tree, that Jesus comes along and he, he looks for fruit on the fig tree. And when he doesn't find it, he says, cut it down. What good is it? And various other parables that lead this man to wonder, does Jesus not understand this idea that all the Jews already have a place in the kingdom of heaven? Why does Jesus keep calling us to repent? You know, uh, this, Does Jesus not understand that we all have credentials? We are going to go into the kingdom of God. Because we are Jewish people. God, we are God's people. We, we are in covenant with God. God made a covenant with Abraham and with Moses. We are the privileged people of God. And so perhaps it was thoughts like these then that, that prompted this man to say, Jesus, uh, I've been listening to you lately. I've uh, been listening to some of your, your, your teaching and especially your parables. And Jesus, I'm just wondering, uh, how many people are going to be saved in your understanding? Are there just going to be a few people? Because the way you talk, not very many people are going to make it. So there's this question. Let me move to my second point, Jesus' answer. Notice in verse 24, Jesus begins his answer to his question. And Jesus answers by dismissing the question, doesn't he? He completely bypasses the question. Uh, It's not an edifying question, evidently, in the mind of Jesus. And so Jesus says, Uh, It's not about the number of people who are going to be saved. 
But verse 24, you strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So Jesus says, listen, brother, you're focusing your energies on the wrong, on the wrong place. Don't, don't, the, the number of people who are going to be saved is, is not an important question. Here's the really important matter. There's a door to the kingdom of God. And that door stands before you. And it's a narrow door. But all the same, you need to make sure that you are going to go through that door. Now again, in the mind of this man, in, a, in, a, in the mind of many of the Jewish people at the time, the thought would be, why is this such an issue, Jesus? Why, why are you making such a big deal out of this? I, don't you know I'm a Jewish man? Look at me. I'm not a Philistine. I'm not a Roman. I'm not a Greek. I'm a Jewish person. Well, why is this? Why are you saying strive to enter in at the narrow gate, at the narrow door? For many will seek to enter, but they won't be able to. Why is this a problem? Why is this an issue? Why should I give so much attention and energy to this issue of whether I am going to be in the kingdom of God, whether there's a place for me in the kingdom of God? Well, now, Jesus gives two reasons. And those are the next two points on my outline there. Two reasons why this is such a big deal, why we need to focus on this. And the first thing is because the door is narrow. Jesus says the door is narrow. Now, children, I put that little picture on your, on your outline there, right? You can see, do you see how narrow that door is? That doesn't look like a very nice door, does it? Why it's so narrow, you'd, you'd have to turn sideways to, to get through it, as you can see on there. But this is the first reason. The second reason is there's a closed door. So two reasons why you have to make this such a focus of your life, young man. Stop worrying about the number of people who are going to be saved. But start worrying about whether you're going to go through that door. And this is such a big deal because the door is narrow in the first place, but also that door will be closed. So let's first of all consider then this narrow door. Why does Jesus insist that this is a narrow door? Well, my friends, Jesus insists that this is a narrow door because so many people can't fit through it. Why can't they fit through it? I mean, they certainly can get their body through the door. But you see, the problem is, is they're, they're taking so much stuff with them. How many of you have had the experience of, you have a large suitcase in both hands, right? And you come up to a door and, right, and you got to try to adjust these suitcases, right, so you can get through. You can't fit through the door with those suitcases, right? Sometimes you got to leave one behind and just take one through and then come back for the other. And I know we've all had the experience, right, of when you move and you try to get a couch through the front door of the house and then around the corner. And I know when we moved into the parsonage here, we had a box spring that was, uh, we could not get up the stairwell. We twisted and turned and in every which way, we could not get that thing up the stairwell. And to this day, it's not up that stairwell. And so we had to learn to live without it. But this is the situation now that Jesus puts before uh, his people and especially before this, this man who asked this question. The door into the kingdom of God is a narrow door. Now, what does that mean then, theologically, what does that mean then in, in reality about the kingdom of God? Well, my friends, it means this. And Jesus had said that previously in the parable that we read in, in the first nine verses about the fig tree. 
uh, oh no, in, the, in the, uh, the, the parable, when the Galileans, right, they died and then the tower fell on these people. And Jesus says, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What that means, my friends, is that the only people who can go through or who can fit through this door are those who have made a sincere and true repentance. That means a renunciation of their past life. A hatred and a laying aside of all their sin. And an emptying through, empty, and entering through that door as repentant people with nothing of their own merits to bring. <clears throat> now we know, uh, congregation, that we can't go through the door into the kingdom of God if we're going to protect or rationalize some sin that we have in our life. That's all very clear to us. But that's really not the point of the, of the parable or of the, of the Jesus teaching here this morning. Think about the people Jesus is speaking to, right? He's speaking to Jewish people. Right? These were not people who were living in adultery. Right? These were not people who were living in, in, in sin of that kind. Right? These were people who understood the Ten Commandments. These were people who frequented the temple. They were punctilious about their sacrifices and their prayers and their almsgiving and they're eating clean foods and not the unclean foods, right? These were people who were very punctilious in their living. So Jesus here, uh, it's true, of course, it's true, of course, that you know, we have to make, repentance means we let go of all our sins. But here in this context, my friends, repentance is not just letting go of former sins, former way of life, former practices, habits, entertainments, ambitions, former friends, but the sin here, is especially the sin of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Let me, let me, uh, let, let's, let's take some examples here. Here comes a man. Here comes a man walking down the road to Jesus. It's the rich young ruler. You remember him from the Gospels. The rich young ruler. And he comes up to that narrow door. And he tries to enter but he can't fit. He can't fit through that narrow door. Why? Children, on your outline there, you see you have a blank there, and you could just got to put one thing there, a dollar sign. You see that blank? It says the rich young ruler could not fit through the door because he loved his, and we have to put a dollar sign there. That's what it says in Scripture, right? It says he left Jesus. He was very grieved because he was very wealthy. And you can't fit through the door of the kingdom of God and take your wealth with you. Now, I have more to say about that, but let's just leave that for now. The rich young ruler won't fit because his heart is divided. He may have repented of many things. And remember, the rich young ruler even said, right, that I've, I've obeyed every one of the commandments from my youth up. This was not a man who was living in some sin. And yet, he was living in sin, wasn't he? His heart was divided between Christ and a desire to follow him, right? He said, what, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life and his wealth? And because of that, he can't fit through that door. He's stopped. He can't stoop. He's trying to fit the suitcase in with him, right? That suitcase full of cash, that suitcase full of money. And he can't fit through the narrow door. You just can't do it. Alas, he can't fit through the door. But here comes another man. 
So now look with me. Here comes another man. He comes walking down this road, and he comes up to that door. And look at this man. Certainly he'll get in, because look at this man, how religious he is. This is the Pharisee. This is the Pharisee. So much money he gave in alms to the poor. So many prayers he made. Jesus says that even the Pharisees were involved in mission work. Here comes this Pharisee. Do you see him there? His head is held high. He's full of all this stuff. He has a briefcase in one side, full of all the good works he's done. And in the other hand, another briefcase, full of his own righteousness. And there he comes up to that door. But it's a narrow door, and once again, he can't fit through. Is it because he's living in, in some kind of open sin? No. Uh, but yes, right? No. You can't, you can't lay a finger on this man's life in terms of, does he lie, does he cheat, does he steal? No. But his righteousness, my friends, it's too big. His religion is too much. He has such a high opinion of himself. He walks up to that door, and it's like he has his ticket in his hand. Here, why should I let you through this door? Here's my ticket. Well, Jesus says, this door is too narrow. You think that I should let you in because you have all these things. But that's not who comes through that door. This door is a narrow door. You can't fit through that door with all your self-made righteousness, all your self-made religion. It's a pity, isn't it? The proud Pharisee has to turn away. He misses entering that door. But now look who's coming next. Because there's another man coming. He'll never get through that door. This guy's a thief. This is the publican. You know, I don't have to explain to you all what the publicans did, right? How they extorted money from people. Wealthy men. Here comes this publican, despised and hated by the Jewish people. This publican comes up. What does he have to offer? What does he have to give? He beats on his chest, right? He says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He has nothing to offer to the Lord. He has only guilt and sin on his conscience. He knows what a wretched, wicked life he's lived. And he knows better. Again, the publicans were Jewish people, remember? That's why they hated them doubly, right? Because they were Jewish people who had been friends to the Romans. This despised publican, he comes, beating on his chest, says the Bible, standing in the corner of the temple with tears, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The only thing he can do, my friends, when he comes to that narrow door is plead on the mercy of God. He has no righteousness to bring with him. He's got no suitcase with all the money he's given to the poor. He's got no suitcase, right, with all his mission work that he's done and all the wonderful deeds he's done, his prayers and all this. In fact, if he has anything with him, it's just sin and guilt. But now, my friends, you see the miracle of it all because that publican fits through that door just fine. He walks through the door into the kingdom of God. What made the difference, my friends? What made the difference is this repentance, this self-denial that Jesus requires of everyone who will come through the narrow door. Furthermore, Jesus says in verse 29, you have your Bible there, look at verse 29. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table 
in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means from all directions, my friends, the Gentile peoples will come. They will come down that road and they will come up to that narrow door. They have nothing to offer. They've got no ticket. They've got no credentials. They have nothing to say for themselves except, Lord, mercy, have mercy upon me. They're sinners. They're Gentile dogs. They have nothing to say for themselves. But now, my friends, that narrow door, why, that's just right for them. They can walk through that door and they fit just fine because they have no righteousness of their own to plead. They have no ticket, no admissions ticket, nothing, nothing to plead. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And so these Gentiles enter through the door and take their place in the kingdom of God with great joy and gladness. But there's another reason, my friends, that Jesus tells this man, you have to give great energy and attention and focus to this question of will I go through that door? Now the next thing is the closed door. There's another reason entry is so difficult. The first is it's a narrow door, but the second reason means that entry is impossible. And that is because there's a time coming, says Jesus, when the master of the feast, verse 25, the head of the house, he'll get up. He'll check his watch. It's time. It's time for the feast to begin. And so he stands up. He shuts the door. The door is shut. And now those who are outside come to this realization, don't they? That the door has been shut and they're still outside. And so they begin to cry out. They begin to call. They begin to knock on that door. Open. Open. We have a right to come into the kingdom of God as well. We want to come into the feast of the kingdom of God. We have a place there. Now that's interesting because when Jesus looks out the door, the head of the house looks out, he says, I do not know where you are from. Right? And we have the same thing in our own day when we invite people to our house. We know who we invited. Right? If I invite a family, I can tell who the family is and when they come to the door, I let them in. If a stranger comes to the door, I might open the door and say, can I help you? Right? But if I've invited you to my house, I don't open the door and say, can I help you? I welcome you in, right? But Jesus says, now I look out there, you're knocking, you want to come in, and I look at you and I say, I don't recognize you. You're not my friends. I don't believe that you were invited to this feast. Now, my friends, at this point, there's indignation. Notice I put, I put that there. Indignation on the outline. Because in verse 26, these people who are outside, who missed the deadline, if I could put it that way, they missed the deadline. The master of the house has stood up. He's closed the door. But now these people begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. Now remember, we, we talked about this some time ago when we talked about the Lord's Supper. Remember that we said that in those days, Eating and drinking with someone, sharing a meal with someone, was a mark of some intimacy, a mark of a, a higher degree of friendship. And now these people are protesting. They say, what do you mean you won't open the door and let us in? Why, 
We've eaten and drunk with you. We've had meals with you. You've taught in our, our streets. We sat at your feet and received your instruction. How can you say you don't know me? You don't know us. You don't know where we're from. So again, there's this, there's this protest of indignation. But again, Jesus responds with these dreadful words. I tell you, I do not know where you are from. My friends, these people outside the door were occupied with many, many things. They had put their hands and their minds to many different things. They were working and, and, and busy, busy, busy. And they missed the deadline, right? They missed the time of grace. That time of grace came to an end for them. The time when that door was open, still a narrow door, but at least it was open. But then there came a time when the master of the house stood up. The time had passed, and he closes the door. And these people are outside. They can't get in. And when they protest that their credentials are all in order, we sat at your feet, we've heard your teaching. Jesus says, again, I, I, I say this reverently, he says, so what? So what that you heard my teaching? So what that you ate and drank in my presence? Again, my friends, Jesus is looking for sincere and true repentance. Jesus cares less about the external. I don't say he cares nothing at all. The externals are important. But Jesus cares most of all about the heart of a person. Is there a sincere heart of repentance? This is the religion, my friends, that we have when the door is closed, when we're away from the gaze of other people. This, what we're doing right now, this is the external, right? This is the sitting at Jesus' feet. This is the eating and drinking in his presence. But when we leave here, and when the eyes are off us, now our real heart begins to show itself and to manifest itself. Is it really, truly a heart of repentance? In other words, a hating of sin and a loving of righteousness. Now this is what Jesus puts the top priority on. You see, when that proud Pharisee came, he was full of the externals of religion. In fact, he made sure that everybody noticed because he prayed on the street corner. He made sure everybody saw. He gave his alms, and again, he made sure that people saw. But what happened when the lights went out? What happened when the door, when he left the church? What happened when he entered into his own home? You know, I, I love that expression, kind of a humorous expression. Writer Old Rowland Hill said that if a man's dog and cat is not the better for his religion, I care nothing for it. Right? Sometimes our dogs and cats, our, our, the animals in the house can see what our religion really is. Better than we can see when we see people at church with their suits and ties on and their fine clothes. So Jesus says, eating and drinking in my presence, hearing my teaching, wonderful things, but that doesn't make you a member. That doesn't give you a place in my kingdom. And the door is closed. And it will never open for them again. Solemn words, my friends. Frightening words, isn't it? This is the real Jesus. Well, that brings me to my catechism, our catechism instruction this morning then. As I said, I wanted to use this catechism instruction to talk about the sermon. In our worship service, we have a sermon every Sunday. It's really the, uh, the lion's share of the uh, service is dedicated to the sermon. And on the back of the outline there, I put the 
question. This is question 84, I believe. I should have put the number there. Question 84, how does preaching the Holy Gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? And there you have that language of opening and closing a door, just as we saw the narrow door open and close this morning. And the answer given us is, according to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers, each and every one, that as often as they accept the gospel promised in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. The kingdom of heaven, or the door of the kingdom of heaven, is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the wrath of God and eternal condemnation rest on them. God's judgment, both in this life and in the life to come, is based on this gospel testimony. So here we have the sermon, my friends. The sermon is the preacher taking a portion of the word of God and declaring an open door to believers and a closed door to unbelievers and to hypocrites. Now, preaching uh, aims to do a great deal of things. and There are a great deal of topics covered in sermons. Anything that's in the word of God, right, is fair game, you might say, for the pulpit. But it all comes down to this, my friends. It all narrows down to this, that there is a door. And it is a narrow door. And the only person that can fit through that door is a person who denies their own righteousness, hates every sin, and makes a full surrender of his life to Jesus Christ. That is the only person who can fit through that door. That's what the Catechism teaches us, and that is also what our text taught us this morning. Now, my friends, I want to shift this to our own day and consider some examples of the sermon opening and closing the door in our own time. And first, I want to introduce you to Mr. Ambition. I'd like you to meet Mr. Ambition this morning. Mr. Ambition is a young man. He's full, naturally, of ambition and energy. Mr. Ambition is especially focused on physical strength. He hits the gym regularly. He loves physical fitness. He loves strength. Whatever sport he may be involved in, he gives himself to it 110%. Now, Mr. Ambition attends church. We can even say that he faithfully attends church, morning and evening. Although we, uh, we do note that he missed church a few weeks back because he wanted to watch the Super Bowl, but he, he attends church. He reads his Bible when he remembers, and, and when he has time, he's a very busy man, but he does try to read his Bible. Not much of a man for private prayer, but even there, he, he, uh, he does try to say his prayers, as we say. Now, such a man comes into church, and the preacher stands up and announces this narrow door, and he preaches about this narrow door. Now, of course, Mr. Ambition doesn't really think much about that door because he already assumes that he's already in the kingdom of God. He already has a place there. Why should he think about this? But this passage, my friends, begins to cause him some concern because Jesus does say, strive to enter. And you know the word there in the Greek is agonize, to enter in to that narrow door. And as the preacher begins to explain this, he begins to become concerned about this. 
The Spirit of God begins to press down upon him that the ambition of his life, and his name is Mr. Ambition, but the ambition of his life is not seek ye first the things of the kingdom of God, but to seek his own physical strength, his own skill at whatever sport he might be playing. And he begins to ponder this. And he begins to think, my friends, that maybe he's missed that door. And he begins to become concerned that one day, as the preacher said, that door will go closed. And now he begins to wonder, have I missed it all? Have I missed entering that door? And as the Spirit of God presses down upon him, and as the preacher lays these things out before him Sunday after Sunday, he finally realizes he missed the door. And he gets on his knees. He confesses this sin to God. He makes a full repentance of his past life. He says, like Isaiah, remember what Isaiah said, Lord, here am I. Send me. He comes back to church. And now what does the preacher do, my friends? This is what I told you is the great privilege of every preacher. Because now the preacher says, that door goes open again. That for all those who are willing to repent of their sin and to turn in faith to the Savior, the door is still a narrow door. But for such a person who has true repentance, he walks through that door. That's what our catechism said, right? Proclaiming and publicly declaring to all believers as often as they accept the gospel promise in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, truly forgives all their sins. And that's what happened in the life of Mr. Ambition. You know, he still might go to the gym. He still might work on physical strength. He doesn't lose all that interest just because he became a Christian. He may still watch the Super Bowl. He'll never miss the evening worship service to watch the Super Bowl. But he may still watch it. He may still be interested in football. But wow, what a change, my friends. Now he's taken all those things. You know, you can imagine this man. It's as if he goes into his closet. He takes all his past life, all his stuff. He heaps it up and he pours it out before the Lord. He says, Lord, here's my life. Do with me as you would seem good. He, he gives it all over to, the God, to God. He makes a full surrender of his life. And now all his focus on physical strength, which is a wonderful thing, by the way, right? Nothing, nothing ill to say about that. But now he offers it up to God. Now he offers it up to God as a sacrifice. He says, Lord, how can I serve you in this area? How can I serve you with these gifts that you've given me? Do you see the difference, my friends? You see how everything changed in Mr. Ambition's life when he realized that his ambition was not the kingdom of God, was not Jesus Christ. He wasn't seeking to obtain the pearl of great price. He was pursuing his own ambitions. And the preacher has the lovely privilege then of declaring to Mr. Ambition, Maybe we should change his name, Mr. Changed Ambition, or maybe Mr. New Direction, whatever it may be. But now the preacher says, that door of the kingdom of God goes open to such a one. I want you to meet Misdivided. Example number two, Misdivided. This is a single woman. Again, everyone knows Misdivided. She's a strong Christian woman. Again, she faithfully attends church. Everyone knows that it's her earnest desire to enter that narrow door. 
to take her place in the kingdom of God. But Misdivided has met a young man. Misdivided has met a young man, a good guy by all accounts. Solid, hardworking man, respectful, but he's not a Christian. He's, he's even willing to go to church with her, but he does not profess Christ. He does not walk with Christ day to day. And now Misdivided would walk through that door, my friends. But that door is too narrow for Misdivided because they can't fit through that door together. You can't divide your loyalties between Christ and someone who does not love Christ. Misdivided can't fit through that door, my friends. She has to make a decision, doesn't she? She is set before a decision, a crisis point in her life that she has to decide, will I follow Christ? Or will I divide my loyalties between this man, as good a, a good a young man as he may be? Or will I make a full surrender? Will I yield my life completely to Jesus Christ? That door is so narrow, my friends. That door is so narrow. And really, misdivided, I, I, I took the example of, of a relationship, but it could be a job offer. Here's a job offer that misdivided receives. And it requires you to do this over here. Not real happy about it, but maybe it requires you to move to a location where you can't attend a faithful church. And now that narrow door gets so narrow, doesn't it? Because now the Spirit of God says, what are you going to do in this situation? Are you going to yield your life completely to Christ? Or will you keep part of your life to yourself? I want you to meet Mr. Theology, example number three. Mr. Theology, what a great guy he is. Although he can be a little obnoxious sometimes, he loves to discuss theology. He's well-versed in all the latest debates. Now, why did, I, why did I pick Mr. Theology? Well, because that's the man who started this whole thing off, right? Mr. Theology is the guy who said, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Ah, this man likes to think about controversies, right? And he goes right to the heart of the issue, Jesus, your preaching seems to imply that not so many people are saved, right? So he wants, to, he wants to debate this theological point. He's a good guy. He likes, to, he likes to debate these things. But my friends, has Mr. Theology ever confessed himself to be a lost sinner before God? Has he ever had that broken spirit and contrite heart before God and confessed himself to be a sinner worthy of eternal condemnation? Mr. Theology, just like Mr. Mr. Ambition before, begins to think about these things. He begins to think that maybe he's a little too big to fit through this narrow door. Why? Well, because he's quite proud of his theological knowledge. Perhaps he even looks down. This is, this is a, a thing, especially for us brothers as elders and as the pastor. I can think of myself. I've been to seminary, certainly with my degree and my studies in the Greek and the Hebrew language and my studies of all the forefathers in the faith, in the current writers in the faith, certainly I'm a, a surefire to get through that door, narrow door. But my friends, I can't fit through that door either. I can't fit through that door if I'm proud of my theology and my, my learning and all the things that I do every day, every day going to my computer and studying the word of God. You think that, that somehow I have a ticket to get through that door. And maybe some of us think that, well, I'm, I'm not just an evangelical Christian, I'm reformed. Right? I mean, we are, we are somewhat proud of our, of our, our theological 
an understanding of all these things. When I think about Mr. Theology, when I think the Spirit of God beginning to convict him of this, this self-righteousness that he has, proud of all his knowledge. But Jesus can say to him, why should I receive you into my kingdom? Because you have so much theological knowledge? Because you're able to debate the finer points of theology? And by the way, my friends, what a wonderful thing it is when we study theology and when we can debate those finer points. But that's not the ticket to get through the narrow door. Let's never forget that, my friends. Learning knowledge does not get you through the door. Knowledge can keep you out of the door, especially when we're proud of it and we're puffed up with it. Mr. Theology begins to think under the conviction of the Spirit of God about what Jesus said, that unless you become like a little child, you can never enter the kingdom of God. Mr. Theology begins to think that the illiterate person, the illiterate homeless man at the gospel mission may enter the kingdom of God while he misses it. Because the illiterate homeless man at the gospel mission has nothing to offer except a life of brokenness and sin. And he fits through that door because he's just trusting in the mercy of God in Christ. But Mr. Theology has so much to offer God, so much learning. You know, Herman Bovink, when he came to die, do you know what his last words were? By the way, Herman Bovink, I mean, what a man he was, my friends. Staggering the knowledge and the learning that this man had. But what language he took when he came to die. And I'm told that his last words were, my learning does not help me now. Neither does my dogmatics. By the way, he wrote four thick volumes of dogmatics. Theology, dogmatics, same thing. So Bavink said, my learning does not help me now. Neither does my dogmatics. Faith alone saves me. You see, my friends, when Herman Bavink came before that narrow door, when when Herman Bavink came to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he stood on the same ground as that illiterate, homeless bum at the gospel mission. Simple faith in the mercy of God in Christ. And my friends, of course, you know that none of this is to disparage the study of theology. Of course not. But when we come to that narrow door, and there's only one thing, sincere, heartfelt repentance and faith in Christ that gets us through that door. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Then my fourth example, Mrs. No Good Story. I had to stretch this name a bit. Mrs. No Good Story. This is the woman who comes, or the man, again, right? These are all gender neutral. But this woman comes, Mrs. No Good Story, and she comes to that narrow door. And she says, you know, I have no good story. I have no testimony. I have no fantastic story of being saved from sin. I grew up in a Christian home. I loved the Lord Jesus Christ from my youngest days. I never knew a day when I didn't want to serve the Savior. I don't have anything else to offer than that. I don't have a fantastic testimony. I couldn't write a book about my life. It'd be rather boring. Is there a place in the kingdom of God for me? Well, a question for you this morning then, friends. The same question I've asked so many times already. Are you willing to come through that door on these terms? Right? On these terms. I'm a lost sinner, deserving of nothing. 
I take my stand on Jesus Christ. I take my stand on the mercy of God in Christ alone. My friends, then it doesn't matter what, what story you may have, what testimony you can tell us, right? And people have fantastic testimonies of how God spoke to them in a powerful way. Or they saw, think of the Apostle Paul, the shaft of light that came out of heaven. You don't have a story like that this morning? Then I just ask you, my friends, are you willing to come through the door? Simply confessing the mercy of God in Christ. Well, then that door is wide open for you. Notice our catechism says that as often as they accept the gospel promised in true faith, God, because of Christ's merit, you don't have to bring anything of your own. In fact, if you stand before me and tell me, Pastor, let me tell you the story of my conversion. Let me tell you all the things that happened in my life. I'm going to say that door might be a little too narrow for you. Sounds like you've got something in your hands that you're going to bring that recommends you to God. But the door is too narrow for that, my friends. Too narrow. Well, the final word then this morning, my friends, is one day that door will go closed. So there's no time to lose. No time to lose. Get into that kingdom. Get into the kingdom of God. Take your place there in simple faith in Christ. And rest assured that that door will not be closed to you. May God find us striving, agonizing to enter in to the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Lord, what a, what, a, what a sharp word this morning from our Savior. And Lord, we do confess and we do know that one day we'll stand before his all-seeing eye. And Lord, we want to come up with all sorts of things, all sorts of reasons why you should let us into your kingdom. But, Lord, that door is so narrow that none of these reasons amount to anything. And so, Lord, we just take our place with the publican. We just take our place with that Canaanitish woman who fell at your feet and just said, Lord, help me. Oh, God, be merciful to us sinners. Lord, how thankful we are for preaching. How thankful we are for sermons, Lord. Sometimes we grow weary of them. But still, Lord, we know that in each sermon... That door is open before us, and we are called to enter it. Lord, we hear also in sermons of that closed door. And here, Lord, we would rather not think so much about it. But for all that, it's true, terribly true, that if we miss that narrow door in this life, then we are lost forever and forever. No hope. Oh, God, I pray earnestly that not one person gathered with us this morning would ever stand before that closed door. Lord, help us to enter while we can. Enter while that door is still open. And while you still stand and call, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Hear our prayer, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the blue hymnal now and turn to number 401. Number 401 from Greenland's icy mountains, from India's coral strand, where Africa's sunny fountains roll down their golden sand, from many an ancient river, from many a palmy plain, Christ calls us 
to deliver his lands from error's chain. And the four verses then of 401 in the blue hymnal.
receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.